We've been in this Colossians summer in the uh, scriptures series, and we've, we've been in the habit this summer of not putting the scripture up on the screen, but having you pull out a Bible from underneath the chair in front of you. If you're in the front row, somebody in the back row is going to hook you up if you didn't bring your own Bible. So just raise your hand if you need one. If there's none in your row, because somebody took us up on offering that you can take these home, by the way, if somebody took us up on it and you don't have a Bible... Just, we're going to get you one. We want everybody to have a Bible in their lap, or if you got a honey or something, you can just, you know, sugar up right next to them and, and share. But everybody should have a Bible open to Colossians. And uh, so you guys need a Bible in the front row. You're too embarrassed to raise your hands right now. There's, look at that. Somebody hook these guys up. Somebody see a Bible near them? That, uh, okay. So good. Todd's got a Bible over there. Who needs a Bible from Todd? Thank you. So uh, Colossians in your Bible, there's, we need one over here. Who's got one? Okay, Linda, right in front of me. Just make that happen. High five on the way by. Very good. Okay, leave me hanging. All right, thanks. It's, uh, what page number is it in the church Bible? 1088, 1089, something like that. We're in chapter three. We're in chapter three this time. And this is a great passage. There's so much in this passage that I'm not gonna be able to get to all of it because we're gonna, a little bit of a shorter sermon time because we're gonna come to the table and we wanna do some more music worship at, at that as well. Colossians 3, verses 1 and following. Um, I wish I could preach on all of it. There's about six or seven sermons in this passage. What the heck? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do all seven sermons <laughs> in the next 20 minutes. Ready to go. Um, but, uh, but what you're going to read in this passage, there's a lot going on in this passage. And so I want to just give you a quick orientation. I won't even read all of it, as a matter of fact. But one of the things I want to orient you to in this is that this is going to talk about the fact that we have been dead before. Christ has raised us from the dead, and now we are alive. We are going to put off our old self and put on a new self that God has made for us. If you've read the scriptures, you may be a little bit familiar with that language. If not, that's okay. But I'm going to introduce you to that concept. But we're going to talk about putting off of our old self and being made new by Christ and putting on the new self. This is a reality of the Christian life. This is why I titled my sermon, Hey, Check Out the New Me. There's a new me that God has made available. So let me read uh, a little bit. Let's read just the first paragraph, uh, uh, verses 1 through 4 of Colossians chapter 3. Everybody got it? Okay. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. There's the raised part. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you what? What does it say? You died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him. In glory. This is just the first paragraph. Just stop for a second. This is, I just want to reemphasize what I said before. We are talking about the fact that you have been raised with Christ, right? Is that the first phrase? First phrase of chapter three. Read it with me if you've got my version. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. The died part is last chapter, chapter two. We preached on it last week. Look back at the last paragraph of chapter two. The very beginning of that last paragraph is what is it, verse 20? Okay, read the first part of verse 20 of chapter 2. Since you died with Christ. So we're, we've died with Christ, and then verse 1 of chapter 3, now you've been raised. That's what I'm trying to say. You were dead, and now you're alive. You've been raised with Christ. And he goes on in the rest of those couple of verses in that first paragraph of chapter 3 to basically make this point. So 
you do not need to be messing around with religion anymore. That was what we talked about last week. Last week, my sermon was titled, That Religion Will Mess Up Your Relationship with Jesus. Self-effort, appearances, trying, striving, looking better than the other person, your own works. That's religion. And that'll mess up your relationship with Jesus. And this little paragraph is saying, you've been raised with Christ, and now Christ is your life. Your, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. All that means, friends, is that you have this relationship with Jesus. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you. You have a spiritual relationship. No need to mess around with religion, because you are spiritual. Two different things. Listen to the last week's sermon if you weren't able to read it. And he goes on to say, and so this is a done deal. Look at verse four. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you'll also appear with him in glory. What he's saying there is you have been redeemed, born again, forgiven, saved. What are other words that we use? It's done. It's a done deal. You're in Christ. You're with him. When the end of all things happens, you'll be with him. And that's a done deal. Okay? So that's the positional place that we have in Christ. Now he's going to go on saying, the rest of the, the, the verse and the rest of my sermon is, so now live that out. Put on that clothes. Wear that, that reality, that you are alive in Christ. We'll talk about that in a minute. Each of my sermons, I've done a little fun, little short thing. Remember we talked about when verses and chapters happened in the scriptures. And uh, I want to give you a little, we'll do a little Bible study, uh, not Bible study necessarily technique, but uh, science of the Bible. I want you to see something just as an aside, just for fun. Chapter, I mean, sorry, verse four. When Christ who is your life, do you see it? Do you happen to have a footnote there on the word, in a word, that phrase? What's the, what's the word that has, is footnoted? Your, uh-huh. And then down below, sweetest boy. Go, sweet boy. Said, you liked your message. Okay, thanks, Rob. <laughs> Did he make you a little present? What's he got? It's from me to you, Rob. Okay, so it's footnoted. The word your is footnoted. When Christ who is your life appears, it's footnoted. Look down at the footnote, and what does the footnote say? Somebody volunteer to read me what their footnote says. Who has that? Some of you don't have it, and that's okay. Okay, Annie, what does it say? Some manuscripts Some manuscripts have the word our, not your, our. You ever seen something like that in, in your Bible? Some of you may not have it in, your, in your, the way your editors put together the Bible. They didn't put that footnote in there. Can I tell you what that means? This is really cool. There are about 6,500 portions of the New Testament in the original language that are out there. We have, some of them are really, really, really old. But we don't have the original book. We don't have Paul's original hand. He, didn't, he wrote uh, to the Colossians, but we don't have that letter. So we have copies of that letter. And the reason we know that what we have now is what Paul wrote is we have so many ancient chunks of the New Testament written in Greek that the copyists made. And we can look at all these copies from different centuries all over the world and go, wow, they preserved it. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's how we end up knowing we can trust that this is accurately portraying the original letter that Paul wrote. Because one of the things that many of us live with and we wonder and people say, oh, you don't know what, you, you can't call it God's word. You don't know what's in there because it got changed over the years. Well, the multiple manuscripts we have show that it didn't get changed. But sometimes... 
there's a variant in the manuscripts where the evidence isn't crystal clear. Let's say, we don't have 6,500 portions of Colossians, but let's just say we have 1,000 chunks of Colossians. Some of our professors in the crowd could, could clarify this for me, but let's say we have 1,000 chunks of Colossians. We would have so many that were exactly how we have it here that we're so confident in it, but we may have a few variant texts and we'd go, well, that one's variant. That guy was crazy. He screwed it up. We'll throw out that one. We don't use that. We'll use these. Vast majority, right? Sometimes there'll be enough. Let's say I have 1,000 chunks of Colossians. There'll be 700 that have the word your. When Christ who is your life appears, but 300 of them have Christ who is our life appears. The evidence is like, wow, that's a lot. Apparently, we don't really know exactly what Paul wrote. So they footnote it for you so nobody's pulling the wool over your eyes. Isn't that the best? Because we're always like, oh, man, we don't know what it says. You know, we just write it in there, and then we're like, you know, who knows? No, it's there. And a little bit later in the chapter, there'll be another one for you. So that's kind of cool that it'll tell you the evidence. So if there's ever a variance in the, in the manuscripts, it'll tell you that. And so we'll say, well, not really sure. The great part about it, of course, is when you read that sentence, when Christ, who is our life, appears, you'll also appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is your life, appears, we'll also appear with him in glory. It doesn't change the meaning of the text at all. In fact, all of our variants do that exact thing. So we have confidence that the word of God has been revealed to us and has been protected and preserved so that we have the truth. All right, what do you think of that little nugget? You like that? Isn't that fun? Really? Because then I just wasted all of our time. No, that's for free. That was for the price of admission right there. You get that. So, this first paragraph. You died and now you are alive. So you, you now have a relationship with God. And so he's going to go on to talk about how we're going to live that, on, live that out. The rest of the passage teaches us that the old way, the old way can be put off and the new way can be put on. Put off, put on. The metaphor he uses is just like putting on a suit of clothes, just like putting on a jacket. It can be put, the old way can be put off and the new way can be put on. Now it's a done deal. Your nature has been changed. When you said yes to the gift of Jesus Christ, you became a Christian, you've received forgiveness, you're with him, you're in the, like, you're there. Like you, your life is now hidden with Christ in God, verse three. When Christ who is your life appears, you're gonna appear with him in glory. You're done, you're saved. You can't mess that up. You can't do anything to make God love you any less and remove his forgiveness and his grace from your life. You're in. But live it out is about putting it on. Living into it would be a way to say it. And the rest of the text is going to say live out of that stuff and live into this stuff. So you look at this next paragraph. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Remember? Because you're now raised with Christ where he's seated in the heavenly realms. So you're a spiritual person. But put to death the earthly stuff, the stuff that comes out. And this is really enjoyable. Let's read that list together. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Okay, if you have my version, read it with me. Ready? This is going to be fun. You're going to say this out loud. Here we go. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Now I'll keep going. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Because of these, this is the way people live who do not have forgiveness. That's not you. You're not a person that's under the judgment of a holy and righteous God. You're a person who's been released from that. This is the way you used to, you used to walk in these ways, verse 7, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Oh, read these with me. Ready? Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. And one more, do not lie to each other. Why? Because you've taken off your old self 
with all of its practices, and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And then he goes one more step. He goes, here in this place, in this place where the new self, where we're totally forgiven and have a relationship with God, we have a relationship with Jesus where we can not live according to that other stuff, but actually live into the spiritual person that we are. He goes, in that place, there's, there is no distinction among people. I love that verse, it's verse 11. There's no Gentile or Jew. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised. There's no barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But say these last words with me. But Christ is all and is in all. He's going, you have been rescued by God, and that takes us completely out of the religious thing where you're special, you're smart, you're accepted, you're not. This is about being receiving the free gift of salvation through Jesus and living it out. And in that place, everybody gets to know Christ if they so desire. What's the phrase that the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross? kind of a fun little passage when you go and you study some of that stuff, like what's a barbarian? You know what a barbarian is? A barbarian is someone who doesn't know Greek. And so they were seen as beneath everyone else or uneducated. We would never judge people like that, would we? (laughs) But he says, man, listen, your old self, all that stuff is gone. Rage, malice, slander, sexual morality, impurity. You can literally take that way of living off and put it away. And you can put on the new self, live into the fact that you have been forgiven and raised with Christ, you're a spiritual person. Now, that does sound, that, that, that's harder than it sounds, right? Anybody who's tried to walk with God for a while knows that's harder than it sounds. That you just take it off like a jacket. Because we've been living in our sin, we've been living in our brokenness. And so when I read the list, sexual morality, impurity, lust, gr- greed, evil desires, many of you were like, check, check, check. Like, wait a minute. How is this describing me? I thought I had the new self. Hey, check out the new me. Well, the fact of the matter is that this flesh hangs on, this earthly nature hangs on, but the good news in the scriptures is you can put on the new self. You can live into the new self. You can live into the reality that 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 new self is really the true you. So yeah, it's harder than it sounds, but it's easier than we make it. And here's why. It's easier than we make it to live into these other things. And here's why. Because we have been trying to fix ourselves. And we do not have the power to do it. We've been trying to fix ourselves and we do not have the power to do it. Rather, we're being called in this passage to put on or to live into the new self that God has created in you. But we go, okay, I still got this flesh hanging on. And so let me fix it, let me fix it, let me fix it, let me fix it. And friends, there's actually this freedom into releasing ourselves into being the spiritual people that we were called to be. You cannot fix your lives. I'll be honest with you. When I was in college, we loved having an accountability group because we thought that we were the hardcore Christians and we were like, let's hold each other accountable and we're going to have a jar in the kitchen and every time, what's the sin you want to stop? Well, every time you do it, you got to put a penny in the jar and we'll see it and we'll know that you did that thing again. Six guys, pennies overflowing. (laughs) Accountability basically made me afraid for the average of about 24 more hours of my friends seeing that I was just as broken as I really was. 
but it didn't change me at all. We are invited to put on the new self, which is to allow God's power to actually change us. Let's go into talking about it a little bit. Let's talk about the new self for the few minutes that I've got left over. The new self is described in verse 10. Look at verse 10 again. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. First, the new self is something that you choose to put on. You choose to put on, you choose to live into it. People go, well, does that mean that I thought I was forgiven? I thought I was right with God. You are. But you choose to live into that reality, okay? So we, we choose to put it on. So that's why there's these commands that put to death this and rid yourselves of this. There's a way to live into it. The point of this is something you choose to put on. The point of this is that you, you actually can live this way. Part of the problem is that we believe the liar, the enemy of our souls, and we believe the lies we tell ourselves, that we literally cannot stop doing X, Y, or Z. I can't get rid of my anger. I can't stop the fact that I'm greedy. We, we, we kind of tell ourselves, no, that's just who I am. And that's who people are. But the fact of the matter is you can choose to live into who you really are. That's not how you have to live. And how we live into it is by the spirit of Christ that is in us. If you remember verse 4, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You have Christ. Christ is in you and you are in Christ. What's the verse that, that it says that um, uh, after verse 11? But Christ is all and is in all. He's everything and he is in us who choose to give our lives to him. We're talking about Christ in us. This is what my point was at the end of last week's sermon, where I asked you the question about how do we stay connected to Jesus. Do you remember that? Because we talked about the people who had lost connection with Jesus, had lost connection to the head. And so at the very end of the sermon, I asked, how, how do we stay connected to Jesus? And I had this phrase, and I rushed it at the end of the sermon, and you may or may not have picked it up, but it was this idea, do anything that puts yourself in the place where the Holy Spirit can lead you and change you. Do whatever it takes, whatever spiritual practices, do whatever it takes to put yourself in this place where the Holy Spirit can now come on you. Because if you try to do what you need to do, if you try to kill your flesh totally this side of heaven, you're going to be successful this much. The strongest of you will have this much impact. But if you step into the flow of the Holy Spirit, then you're living out that spiritual person that you are and you're getting yourself in the place where God's power can now actually have some effect. And so the putting on of the new self is really about sort of stepping into the stream where the Holy Spirit then can come and do his work. And we talked about what those practices are, whatever it takes for you. For some of you, it means dropping some friends. But for most of us, it's about being in the scriptures, it's about prayer, it's about reflection, it's about worship, it's about being in fellowship with people and reminding each other of the truth, it's about being in the word of God, right? There's just all these practices that help us get in the way of the spirit. It's not these practices do the work, it's not these practices make me stronger because we've already proven that I'm not that strong, it's putting ourselves in the presence of God. So putting on the new self is putting ourselves in the presence of God. I'm going to give you some permission this morning. This is going to be terrible. And if you quote me out of context, I'm going to get fired. Ready? I want to give you permission to be the person who really wants to sin and be sexually immoral and greedy and full of rage and angry 
with malice in your heart. I'm going to give you permission to admit that that's who you are. You have to come to terms with the fact that you, the reality is that's who you are. You're going to want to do that. And so try as you might, you're not going to change yourself. I'm telling you to give yourself permission so that we'll come to the desperate place where we place ourselves before the throne of God in the presence of the Holy Spirit, whatever, wherever it takes for me to get with God and say to him, woe to me, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, right? That's who you are. I'm giving you permission to know that you're full of greed and malice and rage and anger and all those things. Should we read the list again in case you aren't convinced that it's you we're talking about this morning? But we put ourselves in the place where God can change us. What do you need to do? The do for you is to practice getting in and dependent on the Holy Spirit. By the way, another verse I want to tell you about is I'm going to give you permission to, um, to be that person and admit you're that person. I'm going to give you another verse. No temptation has seized you except what is common to all people. But God is faithful. And when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up underneath it. The lie is you cannot resist temptation. The lie is you're not strong enough, and that is true. But if we walk in the stream of the Spirit, if we walk submitted to the Spirit, if we walk receiving the Spirit of God, then whatever comes our way, there can be victory against those things. Not total victory, not this side of heaven, but there can be victory. And it's not because you've, you're so good now, but it's because you've submitted yourself to God and in his faithfulness, he said, there's a way out. And as we keep growing closer to God, the more spiritual person we become, the less that we end up having to give into those temptations. We take off the old self and we put on the new self. Our only hope, friends, is in the spirit of Christ in our lives. So I want a whole church admitting how messed up they are coming in here desperate for God's presence and worship like, oh my gosh, if people knew 10% of my anger and rage and malice and sexual morality and lying and evil desires, and if people knew 10%, I would be absolutely horrified. So God, but it's me. So I need you. And come and do your thing in my life. The new self is something we choose to put on by stepping in to the power of the Spirit that's made available to us. Are you stepping in enough? Is there places for you to do that? Is there practices in your life? That's not religion. That's just getting where you can get fixed. It's something that I choose to put on, and then secondly, that's, it's something that's being continually renovated. It's something I choose to put on that's being continually renovated. Look back at verse 10. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Being renewed. The word literally is continually renovated. It's in the present tense, and the word literally means renovated. Our new self is being constantly renovated. Anybody done a renovation project in your house? It's continual, isn't it? But what happens is you're bringing it, you're probably doing a remodel, actually. Renovation means we're bringing it back to its original glory. We're living out the destiny of who we were created to be. Some of us have this terrible image in our minds that we are these awful, terrible, broken vessels that are so gross that God cannot wait to make something completely new out of. Actually, God had a destiny in mind for us. He cannot wait to re-renovate, re renovate you 
into what he always destined you to be, into your true uh, identity as a spiritual person. And it's constantly happening. It's being done daily. There's a daily thing to it. We're daily changed by God from the inside out. If we're putting on the new self, if we're stepping into the, the path of the spirit, we're being renewed daily. Now think about that. We need renewal daily. We need renewal of grace daily. We need renewal of our hope that he's going to change us daily. We need Good news that even though yesterday I was much more my old self than I am my new self, we need that hope daily. We're being renewed day by day is what is happening to us. That is such good news. In fact, it's such good news that in the other place it's used in the New Testament, the word, that renovate word, starts with this phrase. It's in 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Wouldn't we lose heart if there was no change, no growth, no healing, Therefore, we do not lose heart, it says. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed, renovated day by day, so we don't lose heart. So take courage, friends. Start new. His mercies are new every morning. I cannot tell you the numbers of people that I know over the years that have been trying to live for God, trying to put on their new self. Their old self has just dominated them. They've become so embarrassed finally that really like, look at, let's be truthful. This is who I am. Can't shake this. Can't fake it anymore. That kind of a deal. And once people start to feel like they can't fake it enough in church anymore, then they just stop coming as opposed to coming lower, right? I can't make it here. These are not my people. I can't. It doesn't work for me. I think when you say it doesn't work for you because you're such a mess that you're finally starting to get why God had church in the first place. And so his mercies are new every day. And so we keep coming back to him. Okay, I gotta keep going. The new self is something I choose to put on that's being continually renovated through an understanding of the truth. You see how it says, what's the, what's the verse in verse 10 say? What's that next, just a couple of words? Renewed in Knowledge, in knowledge, in true knowledge of who God is. That's what this is about. The new self is being renewed through understanding who God is and who we are. It's understanding the truth. This, I've said this every sermon in this series so far. I've said this. We, we got to understand the truth. We got to understand the truth. We got to understand the truth. Who is God and who are we? What's the truth? The truth is that he died to save us. Jesus did. The truth is that we are completely by his mercy and his grace forgiven of all of our sin, past, present, and future. The truth is that nothing can, can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. This is the truth. The truth is that you're not that person anymore. The truth is the Holy Spirit can change you. The truth is that, right? These are the truths. And we're, our new self, as we put it on, as we're being continually renovated and changed and growing, it's rooted in an understanding of who God is, who we are, what's really going on here. Without the truth, we think all kinds of crazy ways about what's happening. Like, God doesn't love me enough. Or I must be a special broken customer. Or I'm destined to always have this in my life. Those kinds of things. Here's what's interesting. When you look at the list, go look at the list again in those verses. Verses 5 through whatever, 9 or something like that. If you look at that list, there's a couple, two different lists of all those vices. Go ahead and just take a second and reflect on it. Look at those vices. Pick your favorite. <laughs> share with your neighbor. No, no, you don't have to share with your neighbor. <laughs> Got one? Now, every one of those vices, there is a lie, a misunderstanding of the truth about God. There is a lie embedded in every one of those vices. 
There is some lie about who God is. There's some untruth about who we are embedded in every one of those vices. So example, when it says to, um, to not be greedy because that's idolatry. You go, I'm not greedy. I'm not greedy. We're all greedy. You go, what? I don't money, money's not important to me. We're not even talking about money. What we're talking about is, if I had more of this, I'd be happy. If I had less pain, if I had more freedom, if I had a different spouse, if I had, I'd be happy. That's idolatry. Why? Think about that. Why do you think that's idolatry? You're, you're saying that something other than God is going to make you happy. So greed is nothing more than saying, gosh, if I had this, things would be better. But that's idolatry because you could have that, you'd still be you. And you'd still be you. Right? So it's idolatry. There's a lie in there that something other than Jesus and his salvation and a relationship with God makes you happy. You could go through all the list and we could talk about what the lies are in that. Verse 9, he says, don't lie to each other. Why? Why would we not lie to each other? What's the lie there? Why would we lie to each other? We lie to each other for two reasons. One, I, don't, I want you to like me or respect me, and I don't want you to see the real me, so I'm going to lie to you. Well, that right there is just a misunderstanding of the whole thing. We're all broken, and the real us needs to show up. The other reason we lie to each other is we lie to each other to control one another. And why would I need to control you if I trust God with my life? Pick your vice, talk about your truth. We have to have an understanding of the truth to step into this, putting on the new, living by the Spirit's power. We need to live in truth. And by the way, all of the virtues that are listed there and in the passage that we didn't get to read as you keep going on, all of those virtues, there's truth in there. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with... Let's just read this passage together. I'm almost done. Verse 12. Read that list with me. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, we're going to say this. Clothe yourselves with what? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And it goes on to do the bunch of one another's. Bear with each other. and Forgive each other. Over all these things, love one another. It's going to say all that stuff. Every one of the virtues have a truth about God in it. But why would God call you to be humble? What's the truth embedded in humility? Because if I'm humble with you, then Mark, it's the real me. You get to see how broken I am. I don't hold you to any other standard than that. And we both get to believe and be encouraged about the grace of God in our lives. Nothing else. Not like, dude, could you take a look at my life and then maybe pull it, pull it together a little bit, would you? You're embarrassing us. There's none of that going on. Humility is the truth. Okay, I've got to be done. It's something I choose to put on. It's being continually renovated through an understanding of the truth. And then the last one is, is in the image of the creator. In verse 10. In the image of the creator. And that's just basically saying we're going to become more like God. We're going to become godly. We're going to be changed. We're going to be more like him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says we're being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, more and more into who we were designed to be. Oh, by the way, then it goes on to say, and this comes from the Lord. That transformation, that comes from the Lord. And then it goes on to say, 
who is the Spirit. And we're back full circle to putting on the new self, which is allowing the Spirit of God who is in us to actually change us. This is the new self. This is the good news. This is what we get to live into.